Last Sunday, I kicked off uh, a series called Jesus Reigns. I can't think of a more apropos message for this season because, you know, I don't know about you, but you can only watch so much of the evening news. I don't want to hear all the, the medical ease about uh, distancing and corona this, corona that. I don't want to talk to you about corona anything today. I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ, the Lord, and Jesus Christ, the King. And let's focus on the truth of who he is. And let's magnify his greatness during this season. Because as Christ is exalted, he's going to do amazing things in our midst as we walk through these difficult times. You know, last Sunday, I made the statement that Jesus Christ's resurrection from the grave inaugurated the, the, the kingdom of God here on earth. Jesus Christ was demonstrating that he reigns over the nations of the world and that he introduced us to a kingdom that the Bible says is going to be ever increasing. It's going to go without end. It's an eternal kingdom. And we're tasting right now that it's the foretaste of that kingdom. And I share with you one of the exciting things that Jesus brings, uh, the good news of the kingdom is reconciliation. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25, the Bible says that Christ, after he rose triumphantly from the dead, uh, was seated at the Father's right hand, and even right now, Jesus Christ is ruling over the nations of the world, and according to 1 Corinthians 15, 25, he's going to reign until he has subdued or he has brought every enemy of his under his feet. This is an amazing picture. It means Jesus is winning. He has won. He's moving history towards this climactic ending when the fullness of his kingdom is going to come. And in fact, I love this passage in in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 9 and 10. You can look on your screen and follow along with me. The Bible says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. With regard to the fulfillment of the times, that is the the end of history, the climax of the ages, here's God's plan to bring all things together in Christ, both things in the heaven and things on the earth. So Jesus Christ came, he gave his life, he shed his blood, he was nailed to a cross, he was buried in the tomb for three days, he rose again, uh, and he ascended to the Father's right hand, and he did all this to introduce us to his kingdom, and here's his goal, to bring heaven and earth together in perfect alignment. Jesus even taught us how to pray. He said, pray this way, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the alignment that God is after, and the privilege that he gives you and I uh, as his servants here on this earth, as his body, as his church, is we get to proclaim the good news, which means we open our mouths, we tell people what the cross means and what Jesus Christ has done and what life in the kingdom is all about. And then here's the, uh, the even more important part, or the equally important part. We get to demonstrate the kingdom. In other words, what does Christ's kingdom look like? You know, I'll give you an example. When, when we move in a spirit of generosity, when we're living in a time of, of what looks like scarcity, people scratch their heads and they go, what is it about that church where they're giving when everybody else is putting their hands out? What's going on? Well, that's a demonstration of kingdom realities. That's a demonstration of kingdom life. That's a demonstration that Jesus reigns over all of our circumstances and situations. And so it's a privilege as Christ's embassy here on this earth. We're, we're a little microcosm of heaven on earth. That's what the church is. 
We have the privilege to proclaim the good news and then to demonstrate in real life what it looks like to live in a realm where Jesus Christ reigns and he is king. And so last week we talked about reconciliation. One of the amazing gifts that we get to model for a watching world is the fact that we can be reconciled with God the Father and reconciled with one another. Look look in the Bible with me. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says this, This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And this was accomplished from start to finish, the Bible says, by faith. This is amazing. Reconciliation, that we are brought from a place of being an enemy of God to being a friend of God through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Reconciliation. So we got uh, vertical reconciliation. Part of our ministry now is to tell others they can be reconciled with God. But this is the good news as well of this ministry of reconciliation is it brings broken people, people full of pain, people full of hurt, people who have experienced injustice. It brings us together in a way that is absolutely amazing so that we can have great marriages. In fact, don't forget we're doing marriage class this afternoon uh, via Zoom. So make sure you continue to jump in there. All the various ministries that we have going on here at Living Stones, part of what they're about is seeing people healed and whole and reconciled so that they can come together and relationships can be restored. What a beautiful thing. And how many of you know the world needs that? You have people right now in your life uh, who need reconciliation. We have neighbors around us who have not been reconciled with God, and they've, they've been estranged from members in their, their own family. So relational brokenness is everywhere. And one of the privileges that we have as God's people is speaking the message of reconciliation. But I want to move today and I want to talk about, uh, well, actually, let me back up. Here's, let me, this spells it out about as clear as any verse in the Bible. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. God has restored our relationship with him through Christ and has given us this ministry of restoring relationships. So I want you to hear that. One of the ministries that you and I have been given by Jesus Christ is the ministry of restoring relationships. Let me ask you a personal question. During this quarantine time, what are you doing to restore broken relationships or strained relationships in your life? Uh, People that you know, people that are part of your family. Maybe this has put a strain on your marriage relationship because you're spending a lot of time together at home. Uh, The purpose of Christ's death and burial and resurrection was to reconcile people back to God and back to each other. Let's make sure we're about our Father's business in that regard. Today I want to talk to you about another dimension of Christ's kingdom that we are called to manifest or to promote, and that is simply the ministry of justice. Justice. You know, the Bible says that when our hearts get transformed, and we're right with God, and we begin to get right with others. The Holy Spirit actually begins to fill our heart with a love for people. And out of this love for people, we have this desire to see truth and justice prevail. In other words, we care about the little person. We care about the person with no voice. We care about truth being manifested. We we care about people being treated in a way that's right and fair and just. Am I speaking to the right crowd? Did that not happen to you when you gave your life to Christ? In other words, the focus gets off of me and the focus is on the world around me that I've been called with Christ to redeem. And all of a sudden I care about people being treated properly. Well, that that kind of speaks of what justice is all about. 
One of the things that we learn about our Heavenly Father is that He is a God who loves truth and He hates injustice with a passion. All through the Old Testament, from whether it's uh, uh, unjust scales or, or telling lies or taking bribes or whatever kind of corruption, we see that God cares about truth in the marketplace. And I love this passage. This is in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, because it highlights God's love for justice. Read along with me. Therefore, the Lord waits expectantly and longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed, happy, fortunate are all those who long for him, since he will never fail them. Isn't this a beautiful picture of the heart of God? God waits expectantly, eagerly, to be gracious and kind to us. Isn't that amazing as we go to him in prayer that the posture of God's heart is one of graciousness and compassion. But look at what it says next. Therefore, he waits on high to have compassion for us. Why? Because God is a God of justice. God hears our prayers. God sees all the injustice around us. And God's heart is moved, the Bible says, with compassion. God is a model for how we are to act in this world. The same things that we see from God, having a heart posture that says, man, I want to help people. I care about people. I want to be compassionate for people. I'm waiting eagerly to jump into situations to help somebody. That is a God-like heart that's rooted in a sense of justice. Of course, the Bible tells us about Jesus When we look at Jesus, we see the the face of God in human flesh. And when we look at the way Jesus acted and what was in his heart, uh, manifested in his words and manifested in his behavior, we see over and over again that Jesus cares about justice in this broken, fallen world. How about the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7, verse, verse 12? Do unto other people what you would want them to do unto you. Treat other people in the same way you would want to be treated. Jesus said this is the essence of of all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets. If we were to boil down the cabbage, so to speak, and come up with one principle of the love and justice of God in the whole Old Testament, it would be this. Treat other people the way you yourself would like to be treated. So simple, so profound, and yet so powerful. And that's part of the ethic of the justice of God being revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ. Or how about we could talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is such a powerful picture that Jesus spoke, a parable of how we administer justice and compassion in a broken and fallen world, how we overcome racism and some of the other uh, isms that are so much a part of the injustice that's all around us, that we care for broken people, that we invest in broken people, that we help those that cannot help themselves. How about when Jesus talked there about, um, he said, if you've done it under the least of these, Matthew chapter 25, if you've done it under the least of these, you've done it unto me. Visiting the poor, giving a cup of water in his name, uh, feeding uh, people that don't have food, visiting those that are in prison for righteousness sake. Uh, Jesus said, if you've done it unto those, it's just like you've done it unto me. This is again him preaching and declaring uh, God's righteousness as it relates to treating people with justice and integrity. And here's a point I want to drive home today. Guess what he expects of us? He expects us to act in the same way he acted. He, He modeled justice for us. And now he wants us, while we're here on earth, to be men and women of God who promote justice and who attack injustice wherever we see it. 
You know, pursuing justice in a fallen, broken world can be tricky at times. You know, we're living in a time where this topic of social justice is really a hot topic uh, on our cultural landscape today. There's not a one of us who hasn't been confronted with this phrase or heard politicians or policy experts making comments like this, you know. Well, we want to make sure we're on the right side of history. That's a fallen world's way of saying we want to be making sure we're making social justice decisions that put us on the right side uh, of the history books. When people, when generations to come look back at our behavior, they're going to go, oh, those people were fighting for justice, okay? They were fighting for righteousness. Um, we've got all kinds of issues that people are encouraging us to be on the right side of today. We've got racial discrimination, abortion, welfare, health care, the environment, immigration, the definition of marriage, foreign policy, property uh, taxes, poverty rates, and we have a whole host of other economic issues that all fall under this thing of social justice. In fact, let me talk about a real powerful cause today that many people are getting involved in, and that's the, uh, the cause to stop uh, sexual trafficking. Uh, sexual trafficking or human trafficking is a $32 billion dollar a year industry selling other human beings for the purpose of sexual exploitation. Just to put that in perspective, $32 billion a year. That's $7 billion more than McDonald's globally makes in one year. Uh, that is money, again, used to enslave other human beings for the purpose of sexual exploitation. 20 million people, 26% of which are children, are involved in this type of sexual sl- slavery. How many of you know that is an example of gross injustice in our world and in our culture today? And as Christians, we should care about that. But here's the ch- challenge for us. You know, the solutions to these injustices f- flow out of a person's worldview. And what we're seeing in our culture today is we're, we are more polarized on these issues of justice than probably ever before. And I'm wanting to highlight uh, that if you start from the wrong worldview, you're going to pervert justice, even though your heart might be good. Here, here, here's a problem with a secular worldview. First of all, secular folks embrace this myth of perpetual progress. It's like the, it's like the uh, moral version of uh, survival of the fittest or evolution. You know, evolution teaches that we're going to get successively better and higher and more evolved and, and, uh, that our, that this, uh, our, our genes are going to continue to, to produce better uh, species of human beings and we're going to solve all the world's problems and blah, 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 blah. Well, there's a moral version of that, which simply says that each generation we get more enlightened. In fact, you hear people talk about, why don't we just get rid of the Bible, this antiquated book, uh, and why don't we get up to modern times, and, and we're smart enough now to make decisions on our own, and we don't need to look to some book that was supposedly written by people thousands of years ago that's absolutely meaningless today. We're more enlightened. But how many of you know that's not the case? We're still dealing with the same problems that the Bible talks about in our culture today. The same injustices, the same perversion, the same issues are still with us today. So we're not getting more morally enlightened. Uh, We might have more technology today, but we're not getting morally enlightened. It's a lie. It is an absolute myth that generations progress from one to the next on a higher level of moral enlightenment. The other thing that we have embraced is that we're going to use government as the vehicle 
for pr- promoting justice, that whatever the government says must be right and true. Whatever the courts declare is now a new right, must be uh, a new form of justice. It's something that we all have to rally around and embrace. And so we see government getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and we're asking government to deal with issues of injustice and unrighteousness. And guess what? Uh, that's not their primary source. In fact, they don't get their definitions of of what is right and good from themselves. They get that from the church. They get that from the Word of God. We're the ones that supply the morality for making just decisions. Let me bring up a third area. One of the key buzzwords in our culture today is a word that really isn't a biblical, biblical value. And it might shock you when I say this, but please hear me. The word we have today is equality, and equality means everybody's life should be basically the same. We should all have the same amount of resources. Uh, if somebody has this much money and some other person has this much money, it's the government's job to take that person's money and to, and to uh, redistribute that money to somebody who has less. Well, the Bible never speaks about equality. The Bible speaks about equal opportunity. The Bible speaks about a level playing field. But the, the Bible speaks about equal privilege, all right? But how many of you know every single person is going to act and respond differently before God make different decisions, make different choices with their lives? Uh, and the Bible's never about somehow trying to redistribute things so that everybody has the exact same amount. In fact, we've found from history that that leads to terrible outcomes. It doesn't lead to blessing or prosperity at all. It leads to misery and pain and all kinds of terrible things. And so... Here's the summary. The world is pursuing a utopianistic view of justice that will never, ever happen in this life. It's not going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is because we are broken, fallen people in need of a Savior. You know, one of the anthems of this utopian pipe dream uh, was written and sung by John Lennon of Beatles fame. You probably have heard this song before, or maybe heard it referred to before. It's one of the most popular songs globally, and it's based on a total lie. It's the song Imagine. Let me quote some of the verses. You can get your Kleenex right now and just dab your eyes as I'm reading this to you because I know it's going to touch you so powerfully. Uh, I'm being totally facetious. All right. Um, imagine, verse 1, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. And there's no hell below us, above us, only sky. Joel, can you bring the Kleenex box here? I'm getting ready to cry. All right. Imagine all the people living for today. Ah, imagine there's no countries. In other words, there's no borders. Open borders. We're free to, to be one big global happy family. It isn't hard to do. There's nothing to kill or die for. In other words, there's nothing... There's no larger purpose. There's no transcendent value that anybody should be investing their life in. There's no meta-narrative that explains the meaning of life because obviously life doesn't have a greater meaning. There's, there, there's no countries. There's nothing to kill or die for. Oh, and let Mr. Lennon add, and there's no religion, that nasty problem of religion that separates people and causes d- uh, division. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine you living that way. Imagine, he says, he, uh, he, he says this, imagine there's uh, uh, all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And I hope someday that you'll join us and the world will be as one. The utopian dream, we all live together happily. Listen, there's more confusion and more uh, nightmare coming. Listen to this one. Imagine no possessions. 
I wonder if you can. Well, the reason you can't is because the right to private property is given to us in the Ten Commandments. It's a basic human right. It's an inalienable right given to us by God. So trying to imagine that nobody owns anything, uh, that's why it's so hard to imagine, because it's not realistic. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. This is the communist dream right here. Redistribution of wealth. We're going to create utopia. No injustice. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You. And the last verse. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. This is an absolute demonic nightmare that Mr. Lenin is singing about. We've had utopian schemes. We've had countries that had their, uh, their, their plans to redistribute the wealth, to create the perfect society where there's no hunger, no poverty, no need, no injustice. And every single time, these things end up in creating more poverty, more misery, more injustice. And history shows us that this has been an absolute nightmare not a, a, this beautiful look up at the pie in the sky and it's all going to turn out well. Mr. Lennon is a prophet of doom, and that song has a nice little sound to it, but it's so destructive in nature. So let's, let's not fall for that. Uh, we need to talk this morning about kingdom justice, because this is what I want to implore you with. We're not living in some fairy tale. We don't have unrealistic expectations that somehow we're going to be able to solve all the world's problems before Jesus comes. That's going to happen when the fullness of his kingdom reign uh, is administered. It's going to happen when Jesus returns. In the meantime, though, we are called to promote justice the best that we can in this fallen world. In fact, I want you to hear this. This is a powerful statement that God makes in his word. Proverbs 28, verse 5. Evil people don't understand justice. I just explained to you why. But those who follow the Lord, the Bible says, understand it completely. What a powerful statement. What is it that separates the Christian worldview from a secular godless worldview? What is it that gives us the ability to understand justice in a way that ungodly people can't. What, where are the blind spots? What, what are the things that we see that they are unable to see and which causes them to continually pervert justice even as they're trying to promote it? Uh, let's take a look at how, the, how Jesus helps us promote kingdom justice, all right? I want to give you a couple of points this morning. Point number one, the cross removes self-righteousness and hypocrisy. Well, pastor, how does that happen? Well, Here's the deal. We understand that every bit of injustice in this world is rooted in something the Bible refers to as sin. The reason people are not treated properly is because of sin. We're selfish. We're broken. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, no one is righteous, not even one person. What the cross does is it hits us with the reality that the problem of injustice actually runs through the heart of every single human being. We can all identify with the woman who was caught in adultery. Of course, the Bible never talks about the man caught in adultery because culture at that time uh, was incredibly sexist and there was two, two people that were involved, but we're going to attack the woman. So Jesus comes alongside of this poor woman and you remember his incredible words of wisdom to, to the crowd that was gathered with their stones ready to, to, to judge this woman and ready to administer uh, their view of justice. And what did Jesus say? Those of you without sin, 
you guys start casting the first stones. And one by one, probably from the oldest to the youngest, those stones started dropping to the ground and those, those men started turning and walking away. Uh, and all that was left there was Jesus with this broken woman. And he encouraged her, hey, I'm not here to condemn you. But he did tell her this, go and sin no more. In other words, you need to experience a change of heart that comes out of repentance and brokenness that leads to a changed lifestyle. See, here's, here's the valuable thing that Jesus taught us. If we ask the question, who is responsible for the injustice in the world? The answer is, I am. And here's the second part of that answer, which you probably don't want to hear. The second part of the answer is, so are you. You see, injustice runs through the human heart. It's something we all have to deal with. Um, This produces in us, though, both a sense of humility and repentance, because I realize I can't point my finger at you, and I can't be harsh and judgmental, because you know what? I have a log in my own eye. I have sin that runs through my own heart that I need to deal with, and so I need to be broken, I need to repent, and I need to approach and promote uh, justice from a spirit of humility and compassion. You know, an amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus is that its message is not only to the oppressed person, but it's also to the oppressors. It's not only to the victim, but it's also to the perpetrators of the sin, because both the victim and the perpetrator are both slaves to injustice and brokenness and sin. So Jesus tells us to do crazy things as we promote justice, like even love our enemies, even love the people that are responsible for bringing in justice. And so in the midst of our standing up for truth, it's always mingled with a sense of compassion, because at the end of the day, we realize Jesus died for sinners, and it's sin that's in me and you that's responsible for injustice in the world today. Second point is simply this. The cross reminds us that the justice of God is sacrificial in nature. At the cross, we see God's judgment, His perfect justice displayed as His own Son takes our place and receives the punishment for our sin. You see, God didn't overlook uh, the sin of humanity. God realized that that sin was serious, and justice demanded punishment. So how did God solve the problem of being a loving God and being a just God and being a holy God and a righteous God and still dealing with our injustice? Well, the cross answers that problem because Jesus Christ took upon himself the just punishment that was due us. He took our place. He took our sin. And the justice of God was demonstrated in the sacrifice of Jesus for broken people. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says this, This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be a sacrifice to take away our sin. So here's the bottom line. We can't sit on the sidelines and just finger point at the problem of injustice. At some point, God uh, uh, expects us to respond and we have to roll up our sleeves and we have to go get in the trenches where it's dirty and where it's unfair and where uh, sometimes you get spit in the face and sometimes people mock you and, and there's opposition and hardship. Because by nature, if we're going to be promoters of justice, we have to get down in the ditches where people are experiencing the injustice that's all around us. It's messy. It's dirty. It's not a pleasant place to be. But God demonstrated that if we're going to demonstrate justice, we have to be willing to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus even to that place of self-sacrifice. We were once slave, 
and Jesus liberated us. And now we must go and liberate other people. You know, I, I love history. Some of you know, I'm, right now I'm in, I'm, I feel like I died and went to heaven on some regards because I've got so many books that I'm reading right now. And I love to read history because it inspires me uh, when I see the behaviors and responses of other people at other times as they face the challenges of their generation. And of course, one of my favorites is William Wilberforce, the champion against slavery in Great Britain. And his leadership ultimately impacted uh, the stopping of the slave trade around the world. But this is what Wilberforce said. He said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. In other words, part of what the promotion of justice involves is bringing injustice right in the front of people's faces so that once they see it, they'll never be able to act like they didn't know about it ever again. And Wilberforce is famous for standing up in the British Parliament and grabbing the chains that were put on slaves, uh, grabbing those from under his seat, draping them around his neck as he stood and he spoke, because he wanted everybody in that parliament to realize that even though the slave trade was out of their sight at that moment, they couldn't see a slave, they, didn't, they, they weren't aware of what was going on, the injustice, Wilberforce put the, the, the objects of their slavery on his own body so that every time they had to look at him speak, they could not deny the reality of what was happening around them. And I just want you to know, this was not a popular thing. Um, uh, they hated him. He was very unpopular. Um, he was, uh, uh, nobody was in favor of abolishing the slave trade. He was messing with the status quo at the time. Uh, and he had to put up with this for decades, multiple decades of faithfulness. But finally, justice prevailed over injustice. And the legacy of Christians throughout the ages is sacrificial. The sacrificial pursuit of promoting justice in the face of evil. That's one of the hallmarks of the kingdom of God and one of our privileges as God's people. Point number three, the cross reminds me that justice has to always be mixed with mercy. You know, when we were hanging, uh, or when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Bible says he died for us as enemies. Um, he did all that out of mercy, not because we deserved it. It was out of mercy. And he causes, uh, calls us now to do everything that we do in, in promoting justice with also balancing it out with mercy. You know, sometimes people uh, that have a strong sense of right and wrong, black and white, that was wrong, that person needs to pay, um, you know, th th they can be so strong on the justice side that they forget that, that the cross reminds us that God's perfect holiness and righteousness and justice was balanced out with grace and mercy and compassion. And that's the tension point that we face. You know, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, captures this beautiful balance of our lives in, in such a poetic verse. Many of you have committed this to memory, but let's read it together this morning. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of us? Here's what the Lord requires. To do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. What a beautiful template for how we are to, to pursue our, our challenge and our ministry of reconciliation and of bringing justice to the world. We, we walk, uh, we do our justice by loving mercy and walking in humility 
before God and before our brothers and sisters. What a beautiful picture. So we're called to extend mercy and grace even while we promote justice. And can I just tell you, this is really, really hard because every person that's listening to me right now, you have experienced in this broken world, you have experienced injustice. Uh, there's been times when you haven't been treated fairly. You were falsely accused. Uh, somebody did something to you that deeply hurt you. Uh, you might have been sexually abused. You might have been verbally abused. You might have been physically abused. Uh, there, there's all kinds of horrific things. There might have been a family member that, in your uh, line that was murdered or that was uh, uh, treated wrong. Uh, uh, all, I mean, the world is so full of stories of brokenness and pain. And I want to remind us, that because of the mercy we have received through Jesus Christ on the cross, he now expects us to extend the same mercy and forgiveness and grace to those who have harmed us. In fact, that's part of the process of promoting justice in the earth, is making sure that we are moving in a spirit of mercy, the same mercy that Jesus had for you and for me. Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, Paul says, never avenge yourselves, but leave the way open for God's wrath and his judicial righteousness. For it is written in Scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. What God is telling us here strongly is that in the pursuit of righteousness, we cannot get all hung up in a spirit of vengeance. That person's wrong. That person needs to pay. I'm not going to forgive that person. They deserve this. I'm not going to let them off the hook. Uh, we must bring this situation to justice. Vengeance, 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 vengeance. Some people would make, take up a personal vendetta to go out and punish those people that have done them wrong. And can I just suggest to you, that is a bad course of action. That never turns out well for the simple reason is it destroys you and me in the process. God wants us to open our hands and to say, you know what? We're not going to experience perfect justice in this world. This is a world of shadows. This is a world of imperfection. But here's what we do. We're not, we're not pursuing a utopian dream like John Lennon talked about. We're pursuing a perfect dream that's coming because Jesus is the only one big enough to bring perfect justice to this world. And so I want to encourage us. We pursue justice with that reality. In fact, that's my next point. Point number four, and I'm going to close with this. The cross points us to the surety of Jesus Christ's perfect justice that is to come. You'll never receive perfect justice in the courts of America. You know, we have the best uh, system in the world, uh, and it's still imperfect. Our world is still filled with injustice. But here is the promise. As we pursue Jesus and as we declare his kingdom is coming, we give hope to people that, you know what? In this life, you might not have experienced justice, but there will be justice. The king is coming. The one who knows everything. Nothing is hidden from his sight. The one who will demonstrate perfect justice because he has perfect knowledge. That king is coming. And that king will make everything right. And that king will restore the imbalance that we've had to live in. Look what the Bible says about this king in Isaiah chapter 42. I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails 
throughout the earth. Isn't this good news? This is what I get excited about. You know, he is going to perfectly right every wrong. And so here's what we do in the meantime. We say, Jesus, I give you this situation. You know, this person robbed me. This person hurt me. This person said bad things about me. Instead of being bitter and instead of being angry and instead of trying to go after people, uh, you just release them. And you say, Lord, I thank you that you're big enough to handle the injustices done against me. But I choose mercy and I choose forgiveness. And I choose, check this out, to put vengeance in your hand because you're the one that's going to judge things perfectly. That's great news. You know, I, I uh, was, was reading Randy Alcorn's book. Some of the guys are reading this book with me. It's a book about heaven and about the life to come and uh, about living for eternity. And Randy does a great job teaching about hell. And I want you to hear me as, as we bring the, the perspective on why there is a hell, all right? He says this, Hell exists precisely because God has committed himself to solving the problem of evil. We cry out for true and for lasting justice. And then we get mad at God. We fault God for taking evil too seriously by administering eternal punishment. He says we can't have it both ways. Sin is evil and just punishment of sin is good. So if sin is evil, then God's solution and God's punishment of that evil is the very definition and epitome of justice and goodness. Hell is an eternal correction uh, of and compensation for evil, and that is the very definition of justice. To fear and dread hell is understandable, but to argue against hell is to argue against justice. Can I just share with you that between now and when Christ returns, we have the opportunity to bow our knee to the King. His name is Jesus. Uh, he's the one that heals our hearts. He's the one that forgives us of our sins. He's the one that works on our behalf to bless us and to prosper us and to aid us in this ministry of reconciliation as we go about promoting justice and righteousness. I'm going to tell you straight up, you're going to be mistreated. Jesus promises it. The more like Jesus you are, people are going to mistreat you. They're not going to understand you. They're not going to like you. Uh, and that's all comes with what it means to be a follower of Christ. But can I tell you some other good news? The king is coming. The king is coming. And he's coming with the fullness of his goodness. And the Bible says his reward is with him. And part of that reward is that he is going to reward and to restore everything that the enemy tried to steal from us. And God is going to make everything that was wrong right. And he's going to restore the hurt and the pain and the brokenness. And he is going to bring great blessing, great reconciliation, great restoration. That is the promise of heaven. The flip side is also true, and it is a severe warning. And if you're watching us this morning, please hear me. Hell is part of the justice of God being administered against people who have sinned and who have done wickedness against their neighbor and against God. You don't want to go to hell. Jesus made sure you wouldn't have to go to hell. But the choice is yours because he said faith simply says I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to believe Jesus died for me and rose again. And I'm going to let Jesus reign in my life. I want to pray with you right now. I believe there are many people watching this morning who need to give their life to Christ and who need, some of you need to release the injustices that are done to you. 
uh, and give them to the Lord and trust Him that He is going to make everything right. I believe this morning huge burdens could be lifted off of people's hearts if you'll just respond to the truth that I laid out before you today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know there are people listening right now who need to get right with you. And if that's you, I just want you to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, come into my life today. Forgive me, God, of my sins. I ask you to change my heart. Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. You know, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, something supernatural is taking place in you right now that's from God. It's Him. It's Him doing it. It's not the the magic of words. It's the power of the Holy Spirit changing your life. And I want to encourage you to text the word Jesus to the number that's on your screen right now and let us know, you know what, Pastor Ron, I gave my life to Christ today because we want to follow up with you and we want to encourage you and we want to help you on this amazing journey of faith that's going to be culminated when Jesus Christ returns. Now, those of you as well that, that maybe need to deal with your own hearts, can you do this with me right now when we, when we close this morning? Can you gather with somebody and just say, you know what, I've had this weighing down on me, or I've got unforgiveness right here, or I'm really angry, and I, and I haven't been able to release you know, so-and-so from my life. But do some business with God today. Let's, let's open up the, 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 the shackles. Let them, let them drop off of our lives. Let's believe that the most amazing judge, Jesus, is coming, and he is going to make everything right. That's the promise of the kingdom. Jesus reigns, and Jesus is the Lord over justice. There's a day coming when we'll never have to deal with injustice ever again. But until then, let's work hard together in this broken world around us to be promoters of kingdom justice in a world that is longing for hope. All right? Hey, we love you guys. We'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget, we're open uh, here at the church for any kind of ministry that you need. Please call the office 663-PRAY, and we would love to follow up with you. All right? Have a great day. Do some business with God. All right? Thank you.